I'm your host, Carrie Arata, Akashic Records reader, psychic sleuth, and spiritual guide. And this is The Infinite Dance, the Akashic podcast. All right, so I have another interview for you this week, and I'm excited again to share this with you all. I also want to say congratulations. We made it through that Mercury retrograde, which was such a doozy for me. I had major communication uh, mishaps and breakdowns, and my laptop, I smashed the screen. So I have a new laptop now, which is good, but it was you know five days without a laptop. So that kind of puts a damper on work and all that kind of stuff. So I'm very happy that it's going retrograde and just know that there's a bit of aftermath, like a week after uh, planet goes direct. So it went direct Monday. So we could still kind of have things lingering. So take it as an opportunity to slow down. That's what I kept coming back around to. All right, I need to slow down. I need to play. I need to incorporate a lot of self-care in my days. So I really started to do that. And that has been helpful (laughs) to, to not completely lose my mind. And so without further ado, I have for you Eleanor Wagner. She is an author and paranormal investigator. She also has her own podcast, Eleanor Wagner's Strange and Scary World. So enjoy our conversation about discarnate souls and our quest to help them as best we can. And paranormal investigator, Eleanor Wagner. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you here today and talk about the plethora of years of experience you've had with spirits and um, finding out what they're doing, um, Earthside, and why they are coming around trying to get our attention. So let's get into uh, background with that. What was it something you started noticing at a young age? I definitely had a fascination with the paranormal as a child. I read everything, watched everything that was available at the time. I had a personal experience in my own home. I grew up with a ghost. As a child, it, I was afraid of it when I really didn't have to. Now as adults, I know it was just trying to get my attention. But as a child, you're terrified and you don't know what's going on. And of course you run to your parents for help and tell you it's not real. It's not there. It's a dream. And so you try and deal with it on your own. How I ended up dealing with it was it was the ghost that lived on my main floor of the house. And when my sister married and left the home, I took over her bedroom, which was in the basement, when at night it was pitch black dark and I couldn't see anything. And I was happy as a pig and shit because now I can sleep. I don't have to open my eyes and see this ghost walking from one room into the other room to the edge of my bed to watch me. So I always knew I was able to see and sense them to a certain degree. 
And then I, I did have a period of time where I was having premonitions, which is all, also very frightening. When the one premonition I had was really frightening and I told my mother about it, she said it was just a nightmare. Don't worry about it. And then when it came true, I was almost blaming myself for the fact that I knew something was going to happen because I had this premonition and didn't do anything about it. I was 12. How am I going to know what to do with when I was a 12-year-old? Could I have prevented it? Probably not. But it happened. And so I think at that point, I had pretty much stifled any kind of gift that I was given because of my fear and guilt until I got older and realized there was no reason for me to feel guilty. There was no reason for me to feel that fear. And I was open to learning more about it at that point, but really didn't take off with it until I started writing writing the haunting series because it kind of fell on my lap but it, everything happens for a reason at that point I had raised my family I'm empty nesting I have all this time on my hands I picked up the pen again and started writing again and it just didn't stop from there one thing led to another and before I knew it poof I was paranormal investigating <laughs> and that's a great outlet for having these gifts and so do you see and hear or do you just see how do they come to you? I do see them when they want me to see them, but that's been very, very rare. For me, it's mostly sensing. I sense I can go into a building and sense if there's something there. I call it my foofy feeling. Foofy. Foofy. <laughs> the lady goes, yeah, foofy, like F-O-O-F-Y. Foofy. That's how <laughs> I would spell it. And the girls on the team, yeah, they tease me about it all the time. Eleanor's got her foofy feeling again, but that's how it is. I walk in and I'll feel very un unbalanced and foofy <laughs> and, and, and just off balance like like I'm drunk like wow. I'm like I'm like I'm wasted and I'm walking around wasted that's what it feels like and but if it's bad I'll know it's bad too so if, if it's something that's bad I'm like I'm not even going in there I don't want to touch anything negative or evil I, I stay away from that I do have people on my team that can deal with it but they don't want to even deal with that either it's tough it really is. Yeah. Who wants to put themselves in that position? I'm, I'm out to help spirit find their, give their message. And if you're going to be a bad spirit, I don't want nothing to do with you. So <laughs> yeah, they can be very, very tough to deal with. And I'm the same as you. I usually deal with just the ones that are positively aligned. Cause as we both know, even when a, a spirit is, you know, positively aligned, not negative, they cause chaos because they're trying to figure out what's happening and what had happened and all the things, right? So it can still right. be uncomfortable for all parties involved. You do occasionally get one that is angry because like you said, they're trying to understand what's going on, why you're not listening, why you're not paying attention. And that's understandable. And those are the ones that I have the patience for to work through. But when you have the angry, mean ones that are hurtful and harmful, that's some scary shit. Yeah. And I, I'm not, I'm not educated enough in this field to take that on myself. So I usually leave that to my team member, Laurel Devine. She's been doing it for 40 years or uh, Art Peterson. He'll, he'll do that because they're, they're familiar with it. They've come in contact with it, but they know how to deal with it. And I'm learning from them, but I'm not going to take it on myself. I'm going to, we're going to talk about your team because they sound really exciting too. And all the work you guys do. Um, I'm going to skip back though and go, I know you said experiences you had as a child or a young person, you know, you kind of held back your gifts because of fear. 
when when did it start to come back around and you felt and you felt comfortable exploring them again really wasn't something that i went looking for it just happened in my family they were always very receptive to our deceased loved ones reaching out to us and contacting us in one way or another and i've always been open to that and accepting of it and welcomed that sort of attention because I want them to be able to reach out to me and talk to me if it came to that. So I think it was that willingness and that openness that enabled my dad when he passed away to do that for me. He was probably the first one that opened that door for me in 1994 when he passed away because I was living in Jersey and he was in the Bronx, New York. He had retired that January and in February, he was diagnosed with cancer. And by June, he was, he was gone. Sadly, the man wow. worked his entire life to have his retirement only to find out he had cancer and, oh. and succumbed to it. The morning that I found he was in the hospital again, thinking it was just going to be another episode that he was going to come out of because we had been through that for a couple months. My sister and my mom said, you know, come down the next morning. And so I did. First thing in the morning, I got up. And I'm driving into the city and I'm on the GW Bridge, the George Washington Bridge in New York. And I'm in bumper to bumper traffic on one of the hottest days of the year. And I'm sitting there and, and I felt like, I don't know if you've ever been to a drive-in movie before, but I'm sitting as if I'm in a drive-in movie yeah. in my car because I'm in bumper to bumper traffic. Nothing is moving. I'm on top of this bridge, just looking around. And in front of me, this movie screen appears. and Literally, whatever it was that I had watched, let's say, let's say I watched it, what I was watching probably took a mere second or so. But in my mind's eye, I watched a whole movie because I see my dad and I see him looking like my dad, but I, his emotions are fear and anger and um, um, sadness, like just all this negative energy and negative emotions he was feeling as he's walking through this mist, right? Yeah. He comes to this bright light, out of the bright light comes my husband's aunt, Anne, who had died the year before him. And she's like, hi, Carl, come on in. I have all of these people. I don't remember her saying people actually, but I have a, others, many others that want to reach you. So he, he kind of like, Oh, okay. You don't hear any voices. I just kind of hear these emotions and know what's going on. He walks with her into these lighted beings. So it, it wasn't as if I could see them like I see you or anybody else. They were beings of light, but I knew exactly who they were. And they all embraced him. It was his best friend, Pat, his two deceased sisters, his two, two deceased brothers. They were all there to greet him. And the next thing I know, he's smiling and he's joyful and he's happy and he's excited. Total opposite of what he'd been feeling just prior to when he was walking. And I'm thinking, oh my God. And I'm, I'm sitting in the car, bumper to bumper traffic, bawling my eyes out bowling my eyes out. And these people are looking at me next, next to me, of course, the native New Yorker, they're looking at me next to me and not going, are you okay? They're just looking at me. And I'm like, in my head, I'm going, I can't believe you're not asking me if I'm okay. Cause I'm hysterical crying. And I'd go back to watching the movie and, and all of a sudden these lighted beings parked and this cherubic looking beautiful woman comes up to him and she embraces him. And she says, hi, daddy. 
it's me, Caroline. Caroline was my dad's namesake who passed away as a baby. And here she was greeting him at the gates of heaven as a full grown adult. Oh my goodness. For me, that was this extremely poignant moment. At that point, I knew he was gone. I knew I was going home to the house to find out that he was already gone, but he was telling me he was gone. And now I had this, this incredible story to tell everybody at his wake. Are they going to believe me? I don't give a shit, but I'm going to tell them what happened to me because I'm not crazy and it happened and I knew he was gone before I got home. So sure enough, when I finally made it to the house, which was several hours later, my sisters and my mom were on the front porch waiting for me and get out of the car. And I said, he's gone. Right. And they said, yeah, he's gone. But that was the moment that those gifts returned to me that I knew if I listened hard enough, I would hear. Mm. And then the next, I mean, no, not exactly the next. So he's never left me, my dad. He's come to me many a time since then. One of the biggest was when I was delivering my daughter, Victoria Lee. It was a really difficult delivery. I was hemorrhaging. She had actually tore me and I had to get over a hundred stitches, but I lost a lot of blood and the doctor couldn't stop bleeding. And I can remember my husband being in this ear going, don't go, don't leave me, don't leave me. And in the other ear, I'm going, my father's there. I'm going, everything's going to be fine. I'm getting, and everything was fine. And then probably maybe a month old or so, I was having one of those mommy and me moments with her in her room that the light was dimmed and I'm sitting in the rock or I had just breastfed her and just enjoying that being a new mother with my baby. The bedroom door was slightly ajar and I felt the hair stand up on the back of my neck and it made me turn my head to look at the door and there was smoke coming through the doorway. And I immediately thought, oh my God, the house is on fire. And I stood up with the baby to go to the door to holler down to my husband, the house is on fire. And when I open up the door, there's no smoke in the hallway. And I turn around and it's behind me. Oh and then I realize, oh, all of a sudden it comes to me, that's my father. And it swirled in this amazing kind of way and went through the wall. Whoa. And I was like, oh my God, that was so cool. That was, that was my father. So he's come to me in other ways. And, um, and that's kind of been what it's been like. My mother-in-law, she was very, very receptive to those signs, seeing, seeing her loved ones in the clouds and in birds and stuff. And she had always said to me that she would let me know one day she would, she would come to me because she knew her son was a non-believer. He's like one of those believer disbelievers, you know, he'll be the first one to exercise the house, but he doesn't believe in it. Why are you exercising house? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why would you What's going on here? <laughs> so, and, and he'll say to me all the time, "How come I don't? Uh, how come I don't get messages from my mother and my father?" I'm like, because you don't listen. You don't listen. That's why they come to me and not to you. And so, sure enough, my mother-in-law, the night that she passed away, and she passed away in my home, but it was just another one of those poignant messages and stories that I was able to share with others at her wake because she too, like my dad, let me know. So since then, it's kind of been that way for me. And how beautiful to be shown the experience they're having by being received by their passed on loved ones as they're passing. 
and that I don't think I don't think everybody experiences it that quite that way. That's that's a really beautiful that you you got to experience that. I would have been bawling too yes. on that bridge and, <laughs> and in traffic. I would have been like, oh. I mean, I was about to. I mean, I just felt it. Just listening to you. And the, and the, the funny thing about it too, Carrie was I didn't know it at the time, but I was pregnant with my daughter. So she never got to meet my dad. My children never got to meet my, my dad, but I was pregnant with her and I didn't even know it. So I just think that that's also not a coincidence because sometimes the life for a life happens. Totally. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but I have. Yeah. One leaves, so one can come. Mm-hmm. And it's like happened almost at the same time. I mean, you know, same. and it's, and it's yeah. nice to have that. Like you said, you just kind of got to that point too, where you're like, I don't care if these other people believe or even receive this, this experience I had, but I'm going to share it because how beautiful to have that too in, oh, you know, at somebody's wake when people are trying to figure out, you know, after somebody passes on, what am I going to do? How am I going to interact in, in life? It's, it can be daunting Absolutely. to have that. That is really extra, I think, special. Um, when, when your dad came and you were in uh, your daughter's bedroom and it was smoke. Is that something that happens too, that you see it, it's like more of a smoke or is, was that, do you think specific to him? One and only time that ever happened. One and only time. It may have been his choice. It may have been his way of coming through. I don't know, because I have, he's come to me. I've smelt his sweat. Oh, wow. I mean, that sounds strange, but he was a construction worker, a pipe fitter. And yeah. whenever he would come home from work him and winter green because he loved green lifesavers and I would pick him from his pocket he he'd have he have probably have to buy a lifesaver pack every single day because he'd buy them and he'd eat a few and then he'd put them in his pocket and he'd come home and then I'd go in and take the whole thing out <laughs> so I've always associated him with those winter green lifesavers and when I hug him there was this smell about him and it's very distinct and I've smelled it in passing over the time. So I think it's just his way of connecting with me where he knew I would understand, but that smoky wispy thing happened only once and never again with my mother-in-law. It wasn't even, it wasn't even a visit of any sort. It was in an action with her. She came home to my house to die. She was in hospice. So we had the dining room all set up with her bed for her and it was easily accessible to everybody in my dining room. Dining room was right below my bedroom. My bedroom's on the second floor above the dining room. This may sound strange, but it was her breathing and then the oxygen. It was kind of like a <gasps> and this is how it was the whole night. She came in Wednesday and, and that's what I listened to while I was laying in bed. And, and I can't remember exactly how it happened, but I did wake up and look at the clock and only hear So I knew at that point, she's not breathing. And I paid attention to the time on the clock and I said, okay, Okay, in my head, do I get up and go downstairs and look? Do I wake up my husband and tell him? Do I go wake up his sister who's sleeping on the couch and tell her? And I'm thinking, no, I think it's probably best if we wait until the morning. 
wake up in the morning and of course she's gone. But you remember I woke up and clock to see what time it was. And her across the street who was a nurse, she had called in to check and see how my mother-in-law was doing. And I had to tell her, I didn't want her to linger. And of course they can't tell you when someone's dying, how long they will linger. So I'm thankful it was a blessing that she didn't last because it would have just been suffering for her and everybody that was around her as well to have to see her like that. So the nurse calls up to see how she's doing. I told her she passed away. She goes, you know, my husband and I, we couldn't sleep all night and we get up. It's 3.17 a.m. in the morning. I'm thinking, what time did you say? She said 3.17 and 3.17 is when I woke up and looked at the clock. Oh my goodness. So when you're talking to somebody and they're going to tell you, oh, it was three o'clock in the morning. That's usually what somebody will say. It was like three o'clock in the morning. It was four o'clock in the morning. How many people are going to say it was 3.17 in the morning? That was too coincidental. That's not a coincidence. So to me, that was her sign telling me because she knew I'd get it. She knew I'd get it. Right. She knew I would know that somebody, if they're going to tell me, oh, I couldn't sleep all night, they'd say, oh, I woke up, it was like three o'clock in the morning. They would not say I woke up at 317 in the morning. They would not say 317. Right. Wow. So that was more of an action, though, of her communicating right. with you. Right. Communicating. And some people would say, oh, it's a coincidence, but nope, I don't believe in coincidences at all. And that's probably why yeah, they either. choose to come to me that way. Uh, they'll come to me in birds. They'll come to me. In, in other ways, and I'll ask for it and it'll happen. So I'm openly receptive to that. And I think they do it in ways that they know that I'm going to get it. Right. It's interesting how they will show stuff to mm-hmm. convey um, things to you. Um, you know, sometimes it's how you will pick it up, but other times it's very specific to the soul and how they want to convey but, and you haven't gotten any um, interactions with mother-in-law since she passed? No, no. Like I said, I've had interactions with birds, just, mm. I mean, you, random birds fly, yes. But for me, if a bird comes right up to my window and sits there perched in and I could tap on the window and it won't go anywhere, or even sometimes when you go right up to the window, the sense that you're there and they'll take off, but they won't. Or if I haven't seen a hummingbird in a while, I'll say, could you give me a hummingbird? And they'll send me a hummingbird, that sort of thing. So I don't know exactly who it is that's sending it to me, but I know that it's one of them. I know it's my father, my mother, and my my mother-in-law. It's the three of them more specifically that I know are there. Only because, like I said, my mother and my mother-in-law were always receptive to that sort of stuff. And my father never really talked about it, but I have had way more of a connection with him than I have with anybody. And I think it's just because he knows I get it. I just think that that's what it is. Yeah. Uh, and maybe soul affiliation too. Like, um, you know, a lot of times when a soul's not in a body anymore, they see the bigger picture. So if they didn't see or verbalize to you in a lifetime that they have knowledge or have had experiences when they're not in a body, they're like, oh yeah, you know, hello. <laughs> and it's, it could be easier to, to interact. And, I mean, I, I, understand, I understand that they're around all the time. 
And I love that. I love the fact that they're around all the time. I wish that I could hear them more. I try to listen to those God-given signs, that inner voice. And I, I do oftentimes, everybody says, oh, it's my guardian angel or it's my inner voice. But I feel that that is some sort of advice. I just wish I had the abilities that some other people do where they could actually hear them. Like my friend Laurel talks to her deceased father and grandmother all the time. <laughs> and I'm just envious and jealous. But I'm thankful that she's my friend and she can give me, give me messages. And just the other week, she gave me a message that had me bawling my eyes out because oh. I, she meditates every day and was meditating, I guess, at one point and got a message from me. And she messages me, listen, it's, I know it's really late at night, but while you're driving to work tomorrow, call me. Like, okay. So she knows I have a, a little bit of a drive to go to work. So while I go to work, I ring her up and she's like, listen, I, I was meditating yesterday and I got a message in for you and I got names. I got names. So I want to give them to you. And I, I want you to tell me if these names ring true to you. I'm going, okay. So she says, um, the first one is this woman named Rosemary. And I'm thinking, Rosemary. Well, my cousin, my cousin's name is Rosemary, but she's still alive. And, and I don't know of any other Rosemary. That doesn't mean there isn't anybody in our family history that's rosemary so i said i really can't it you know confirm it for sure but it's a possibility she said well the rosemary one was kind of there in the background for emotional support but i did get her name so i wanted to share it with you she said that then there was this other woman that was doing all the talking she was the one who was in charge of the whole thing and her name was erna e-r-n-a and i nearly shit my pants and i had to pull the car over to the side and i was like what did you just say she said Erna, E-R-N-A. How many people, Carrie, do you think you know with the name Erna? Right. <laughs> that was my mother's name. Wow. And I was like, what? She goes, yeah, why? Who, who do you know that's name was Erna? I go, Laurel, my mom's name was Erna. She goes, no way. She goes, oh my God. She said, I love it when things come like this. So she goes, okay. So the other lady that was with her, that was kind of like nodding her head most of the time when your mom was giving these messages and she put in her two cents every once in a while, her name was Agnes. How many people do you know with the name Agnes? <laughs> yeah. That was my mother-in-law's name. Oh my goodness. And I, I was just like, so they're just so, hanging out up I there. I'm so excited. Wow. And then she gave me she gave me their message, which was something that I really needed to hear. It was it was something that I I think I already knew. I think I had already had in my mind what it was about and I guess their message was more of an affirmation for me that yes the way I was thinking, what I was going to do, how I felt about it was exactly what they said it was. And it was, it was great. It was great. I just wish more of those moments would <laughs> happen more, but it came at a time when I really needed, I, I think they, I think they, they knew how emotionally distraught I was over what it was they were helping me with. And I think they needed to help me find comfort and guidance that I was headed in the right direction with how I was going to handle it, but it was great. <laughs> it can be frustrating when you know you had it you know had a connection when when they were living and you're looking for this guidance or looking for this communication you're like where is it where are you guys 
but then divine timing here they come in um and give you exactly what you were needing or comfort needing. so yeah. that's so nice um so nice when they you know there to help now was a uh, mother and mother-in-law agnes and erna were yes. they close and when they were living they didn't know each other obviously oh they didn't until we got married i mean they they oh. kind of traveled in the same circles here and there but they really didn't know each other until steve and i got married and they were friendly with one another but they didn't hang out like they were buds or anything no in fact my in-laws had lived in florida and my parents lived in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. So the only time they would actually see one another were if they were here at the same time for a holiday event of some sort, whether it was Christmas or Thanksgiving, or maybe one of the kids christenings or confirmation, communion, that sort of thing, but never on a friendship, hey, let's hang out kind of basis, nothing like that. Wow. So, but it, I thought it was cool that they were together in heaven and working together to help me get that message through and get that guidance that I needed. Yeah. If that makes sense. Oh yeah. It's, it's so, you know, confirming and, you know, like I kind of mentioned before comforting to know you can still have this relationship of some, if, of sorts, you know, mm -hmm. with these, with these people that of course we love and miss terribly at times. Now you had a shop before, correct? I did. I owned a, an antique consignment shop in the town of Sussex where I live. I live in Sussex Wanage. I live on the Wanage end of town, but Sussex is the little town. And I had an antique consignment shop on Main Street there. And that was haunted. And did you know that before you bought it? Did not know it was haunted when we rented the building, rented, excuse but me. we soon found out <laughs> that it was when we were in the building, just doing inventory. I would see the ghost, the spirit. And my friend at the time who was my partner in business, she did not believe in that sort of thing. She was one of those believer, non-disbelievers too. So <laughs> we were doing inventory one night when he decided to make an appearance and he was only just observing us. I mean, he was happy, I guess, in his surroundings, in his building and just liked to observe what we were doing. And I said to her, Dawn, Dawn, do you see what I see? And she's like, what are you talking about? Well, look, look up. He goes, I don't see anything there. I don't see anything there. So I knew she saw. And then she had another incident one time that she saw him when she was in the shop on her own, but it was also confirmed with the tenant because it was a three-story building. There was rentals on the middle, second floor, and the third floor was being renovated at the time. And the people who lived on the second floor, the woman and her husband both could see this spirit. She saw him as a full-bodied apparition. Her husband only saw him as a dark shadow. Oh. And one day she came down for our morning cup of coffee and she said, listen, I got to talk to you about something. I wanted to know if there's anything strange that you see in the building. And I didn't want to come right out and say what I saw. So I kind of said, well, I said a little old guy. And then she said, with a top hat. And I said, and a trench coat. And she's like, yeah. So we kind of, I wanted to know we were on the same page and we were kind of fitting the pieces of the puzzle together. And that's when she told me that her husband just saw him as a black shadow. But that particular building 
actually had two sides to it. So where it was this one big building, there was two storefronts. One storefront had the two floors above it. The other storefront had the two floors above it, but it was attached, right? Mm -hmm. There are ghosts on both sides of those buildings, but they're different ghosts. And they, although you, you know that they can go from one building to another, they don't, they stay in their own area. So the old guy only stays in my building and the other ghosts stay on their side strangely enough but one day one of the customers comes in and says to me I've got this picture I would love to share with you in your lovely shop and I said oh thank you that's really sweet of you and she gives me this black and white picture of the outside of the building the way it was back in the day wow and standing right in front of the building is that little old guy with that black hat and trench coat and I'm thinking he just wanted to make sure I knew that it was him but you know that's why I'm getting this picture because he wanted me to know that that was him yeah. I never got a name and that was the sad part of it. I wish I had known that I could put a name to the face, but the fact that he showed me himself in that photo and I have that photo was confirmation in itself. Yeah. And did he, once he showed you the, you know, the photo came um, from this woman, did he keep appearing to you all? He did. He was, he was there with us until we left the shop. Okay. When the shop, when we, we closed the shop, he, you know, he had been there the whole time with us. But that was also a big inspiration for me when I was writing the books, because I had started writing my supernatural love stories. That's what I was into, supernatural romance, and then hit a brick wall with my second book and got an inspiration to write Haunting Tales because I really love Cape May, New Jersey. It's a very haunted area. It's a a Victorian town. You, You feel like you're stepping back in time when you visit and every time we go every year, I pick up another one of the books that are written about the ghosts in the area. So I know I have the experience of the ghost growing up as a child. I know I have the experience in the shop in Sussex. And I know every place is haunted. Let me put it out on social media and see what kind of a response I get from the public about something of this sort. Mm-hmm. Because now it's more accepted than it was, say, 10 years ago. Right. My phone did not stop dinging for weeks. I put it out there. Does anyone want to share their ghost story with me? I'm going to write a book about the hauntings in Sussex County and write about yours. I thought it was going to be one book about ghosts in Sussex County. I started getting stories from people about Warren County, Orange County, Pike County, Morris County, Passaic (laughs) County. So I started building folders because I'm not going to turn any of these stories away. Right. And now I have all of these stories from Sussex County. So I write Sussex County Hauntings, book one. I have all these stories left over. Start writing book two. And I said, okay, well, let me do one of the other counties. So I wrote Warren County Hauntings. And now I'm writing Sussex County Hauntings three. But I added in the other strange phenomena category. Let me tell you this story. It was only going to be Sussex County Hauntings. Then all of these people were sending me stories about sightings of Bigfoot in Sussex County in High Point State Mountain, which is five minutes away from my house. And all of these people tell me about their unidentified flying object stories in Sussex County. I had so many of them, I'm thinking, well, they, they can't be in a ghost story. So I put in the other strange phenomena category so I could put those stories in. And the Bigfoot chapter ended up being the largest chapter. Whoa. In the book itself. Crazy, right? And this is all just in that county. 
just in this county. That's nuts. And I'm glad that I did the other strange phenomena category because it, it really has opened up a whole avenue of stories for me. Because in book two, rather than writing about Bigfoot or UFOs, I focused on people telling me their stories of the times they were with their deceased loved ones at the time of their death, which can be very poignant, powerful stories that give people hope and faith in life after. And I've gotten such a good response from people about those stories. I also wrote stories about people getting visits from their deceased loved ones because those visits are just as poignant and special to those who get them. Now, when I'm writing my future books, I'm going to write on reincarnation, Warren County hauntings. I put in near-death experiences and they all fit into that other strange phenomena category. If I didn't have that in there and listen to that inner voice and say, I'm going to do this, I would have just had the Sussex County hauntings and that would be the end. Well, good on you on listening to that <laughs> intuition. Yeah. And then we can have all these stories that we can all experience through your writings. And you want to know the benefit of that also. I mean, when I'm writing about a county, obviously I'm, I'm hearing stories from people that live in the county, but when I've got those other strange phenomena stories, I'm getting them from all over the world. I spoke to a young man, Digby Jones. Digby Jones, if you're listening, this is your story. He reached out to me, he was incarcerated, and he wanted to share with me his story on his near-death experience. And I just love his story, love his story. And he knows that I do because he came a really long way and he's out of the system now and working, got a job. And it was his near-death experience that led him to pulling his life together and knowing that his life means something and that it's important and that he has a reason to be. And I was so glad that he reached out to me and made that connection. And I'm so glad that he found his way. And I wanted to tell his story. And I would, he's in the UK. And I wouldn't have gotten that story if I didn't have that other strange phenomena category where I could write about near-death experiences. So everything happens for a reason. And I've been able to write such great stories. Like there was this other story that just, just came out with the, in the Warren County book about a young girl named McKenna Ray. She took her life because she was bullied. How horrible oh. is that for somebody to have hit such rock bottom because they were bullied to take their life. And she was such so a, her, she was such a good kid. She had so much going for her, but because she didn't feel like she fit in, she took her life. And I was led to that story by a reader who lives out of state. He used to live in Sussex County. He grew up in Sussex County. He was pulled to read the books because he wanted to hear about the old county he grew up in. Yeah. Reached out to me and he told me this story about this little boy named Wyatt Schmidt that was friends with his daughter in preschool. Wyatt, unfortunately and sadly, passed away from brain cancer. And he was bringing his daughter to the cemetery to visit her friend's grave when his daughter saw the deceased Wyatt playing with the deceased McKenna, whose grave was right next to his. Whoa. And she said, daddy, Wyatt's playing with that girl that took her life. And the dad said, well, I think maybe she's taking care of him because the girl McKenna, I believe she was 17 years old and 
Wyatt was just five. Oh. But when he told me that story, I'm going, I, I have to write that story. Yeah. Not only was it just sweet that the daughter saw them hanging out together, but I needed to write it because there was a message. There was a message in McKenna's story because I was bullied as a kid and, and I'm thankful that I was strong enough to survive it and teach my children the way not to be and how to be compassionate for others. But not everybody is that strong. Not every, not everybody can handle it. No. And it's really sad that that would happen. So I wrote her story and I connected in at the, the page where the family talked about bullying and, you know, talked about not bullying and how to be better people. And I'm hoping that I get that message out to people too. So I'm trying to send messages out to people that are important when I'm just writing about ghosts. And I don't like to say just writing about ghosts because I feel everybody who even a spirit has a story to tell. Yeah. There's a story. Some of them are just amazing. We did an investigation when I was writing the first book at a little shop called Brick and Mortar Marketplace. Kristen, that's you. She uh, had a ghost in the building that they thought was a little girl. When we did our investigation, we found out it was a little boy. And the little boy's name was Daniel. And as we're doing more of this investigating, we find out that Daniel had epilepsy in life. You and I know back in the day when somebody had something like that, they were considered abnormal. Mm -hmm. They were outcasted. They were hidden from society because people people wouldn't understand. They think he was cursed or whatever they, whatever stigma they put on somebody who had an ailment of any sort or was disfigured or born with a deformity they were stigmatized and outcasted and this little boy who had this disease was outcasted and in death he was being taken care of by a man named salvatore a spirit named salvatore and how they came together that night when we were there we found out salvatore was watching over little daniel and salvatore's story was that he committed suicide because he was a gay Catholic. And think about that back in the day. Right. If, you, if you were outed and you oh. were a Catholic, right? Oh. So these two spirits were together because they were both outcasted from society and they were afraid to go to the light. So as a team, we were praying there, saying a prayer oh. for them. Yeah. And we tried to explain to them that there is love in the light. There is acceptance in the light. And the people that you knew and care about, that care about you, are there waiting for you. You don't have to be fearful to go into the light, that you will be accepted and loved and welcomed. And they didn't go that night. But when we went back there for another investigation a couple of weeks later, like a follow-up investigation, yeah, we didn't, sen- we didn't sense them there at all. We couldn't get through to them. And when we finally did get through to other spirits that were there, they told us that they had gone to the light. Ah. Uh. So that was a really powerful. That is super. That is. Wasn't that crazy? Well, it's just so beautiful to, and also, you know, aligning how they found each other because of their, you know, both being outcasts and shamed. And then in death, still staying earthside in that same alignment of, but you know, obviously some kind of story 
that they're both telling each other that we can't head to the light, that we can't head to ease, that we have to stay I think, I think mostly for the, for the child, I think that for a child, when they pass away, they don't know. So a lot of the times they'll end up missing the light. Maybe this child had been wandering around that building for a really long time until Salvatore ended up passing away because we got the impression that the child had died before Salvatore did. Found each other. Oh, good. They found each other. Uh, I found with passed on, you know, disembodied souls uh, that are hanging around you know, he, us where you could sense them. They're in a space around a person. A lot of times they've had a death that was either a, a surprise like a car accident or a heart attack or somebody killed them. Um, or they're hanging around for um, an, like a coping mechanism um, for, you know, somebody who's still here. Amazing work that you and your team do to assist them in, in their confusion or, um, you know, confusion even on, on their, their self of, of, where I belong. You never know what you're going to encounter. You never know what story is going to come up. And that's the exciting part of this all. I mean, sometimes you can go to an investigation and nothing will happen. Then there'll be something that happens and you just have to be ready and willing to see it and accept it for what it is and try and figure out what it is that you're supposed to do about. So, right. And like you said, it could change every time. And so that's the other topic I wanted to talk about was your team, which you call Lady Ghostbusters. Yes. And we were talking before, and I, I it sounds like we're on the same page of how we describe these things to ourselves and, and our inner circles of, of being around and interacting with spirit ghosts and the purpose of doing that. And it sounds like your team is, um, everybody has their own strengths and their own gifts that they come with to to um, yes. assist in what you're doing. So can you elaborate on the Lady Ghostbusters? Sure. In 2019, when I was writing the Sussex County Hauntings first book, I was given the opportunity to bring a paranormal team into the Ogdensburg Mines in Ogdensburg, New Jersey, here in Sussex County. One person led me to another person that led me to another person who led me to the president of this mine. And he said, come on over, bring your team in. I'm a scientist and all this stuff happens and I'm not supposed to believe it, but I have no explanation for it. And I'm thinking, oh, that's great, thanks. And then I'm thinking, oh, I gotta get a paranormal team together because I don't have one. So I'm thinking, all right, I go on these weekend joints with friends of mine and we've met a paranormal team or two. Let me reach out to some of them and see if they'd like to come along on this exceptional opportunity to go into the mines for as long as we want. We were there for like six or eight hours, but then I also decided that I'm gonna invite of the people that I had interviewed for my book. And there were these five incredibly talented women, ordinary women like you and I who were gifted. And I said, let me just ask them and see if they wanna come. And three out of the five women took me up on my offer and came that night and have been with me ever since. So that's how the Lady Ghostbuster team was actually started. We went on this first paranormal investigation into the mines in Ogdensburg, New Jersey. And then from that point on, people were reaching out to me with requests to have a team come into their home and try and figure out what was going on in their building. Over time, I've also 
gotten more members as well because I've interviewed so many people since that first book and have met some really interested, talented people who I've asked if they wanted to be a part of the team. Now we have 20 members, some are men, that's not all women. So, but the men don't mind being part of the Lady Ghostbuster team, Lady Ghostbuster team and that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody has, like you mentioned, their own special gift or talent to bring to the forum. And together as a team, we are putting together a puzzle and seem to work in sync with one another. We feed off of each other somehow. And I think it's just all that energy working in the room together and the spirits helping us to figure out what's going on. That's really cool. And, and also that you guys are there to basically find out information. So it's not necessarily we're busting the ghosts out of the, out of the dwelling or out of the minds. <sighs> It's, it's what, what happened? No, what, no. What's going on now? We, we, they're, they are still there and they go, they, they go through their daily routine of work in the mines. Mm. And we did give them the opportunity to try and move into the light. We tried talking to the supervisor ghost, but he didn't want to leave his men behind. He said, some of them would go into the light, but they're my brothers. And some of them don't want to go into the light. So they just stay there. Wow. And they're fine, but we, we do want to give the spirit the opportunity to move on if they want to, especially if they don't know that the, that what the light is about. We do explain to them that once you go to the light, you can still come back, which is, which I would think is the way they would want to go. You go to the light and you can come back and visit anytime you want, but some of them just are content. But doing their own thing. It's not like they're causing, they're not being, they're not terrorizing. Some, some do, I'm sure, but. I've had more of the experience just to, to meet spirit that lives in the dwelling. I have on occasion met ones that aren't so nice, but more often than not, it's just. No, in the minds specifically. Oh yeah. Were yeah. they, I mean, the ones that didn't want to go, were they the ones that maybe were causing more chaos or could you decide no. that? No, I, I had nothing but a great experience with the spirits in the mind. They just wanted to explain how tragic, how difficult their jobs were, number one, and how tragic their deaths were. Oh, And and the w- ones that tried to have those accidents not happen, what they did to try and prevent it from happening, but it still did, that kind of thing. We The mediums that were with me that night were seeing these stories and visions played over in their minds about almost like a movie in their head about what transpired and how it happened. And they were just telling their story is what they were. I didn't, I thought I might be afraid going in the, the darkness of these minds, but I was very a peaceful environment, believe it or not. And they just go on with their day-to-day mining. We had such good footage that night. We, we had this mist that was actually kind of like the mist that I saw with my dad uh-huh. in the bedroom, but this mist was actually interacting with us. And there were three or four of us that had our videos going at the time. And I had picked what I thought was the best footage of the videos from that investigation. And I sent it into paranormal caught on camera and they liked it so much. They featured us on an episode. Oh, what? way cool. Yeah. Because of that, that footage. Wow. Yeah. So really able to pick up with a, with a video camera. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. Cause that doesn't always happen. No, no. It was one of those great catches. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I love, I love the fact that it, I mean, I just, I keep seeing like a big heart. Like you guys really go into it with this mm-hmm. love of what you're doing and love of, of trying to help. And that's really ringing through and all that you've yeah. talked about the man in your shop or these spirits in the mine or the, the young boy and Daniel and Salvatore, of, look, mm-hmm. how can we help? And I think that interacting with past I agree. discarnate souls, ghosts, spirits, uh, how can we help? So I love that. Um, yeah. You also have a podcast. I do. It just released two weeks ago. Congratulations. Thank you. I listened to the first episode and loved it. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you liked it. I really liked it. I was like, oh, I can't wait to hear more from her Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and who she has on. Um, And go ahead and let us know a little bit more about your podcast. What's it called and where can we find it? Called Eleanor Wagner's Strange and Scary World. And you can get it anywhere you can get your podcast, but it's on the Paranormal UK radio network. And it's all about us and stories that we have to share i'm doing a series on the it's called the lady ghostbuster series so probably every other episode is going to be with a lady ghostbuster team member where you can learn about their background and why it was that i got their stories and why it is that they're a member of the lady ghostbuster team now and they're very interesting and very talented and gifted people. So you said you listened to the Laurel Divine episode, which is my first episode. And the reason why I made her be my first episode is because she's the one that's been with me the longest since day one and is still going strong with my team and has been doing this for over 40 years. So she's very experienced and you heard all that she's capable of. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I thought that that interview would be the best one to make as the first one. And then, like I said, I, I'm going to do with the Lady Ghostbusters series so that everybody will get to know the other team members and their backgrounds and stories that they can share. But I'm also interviewing others who have their own experiences in the field or with other strange phenomena. <laughs> so I have uh, Bobby Jay Gallo is episode number two, which just came out today. He's a paranormal investigator with the Gallo family investigators. He's also a magician by trade, but he keeps them separate. He likes, he makes, he, he has a, a true respect for spirit. You know, you listen to the episode, you can hear what his background is, but that's the kind of thing I'm, I'm going to have these interviews with. So people can hear other people's stories, ghost stories, strange phenomena, all that interesting stuff that I love to listen to myself. Right. And besides being a story listener, lover, myself, um, having these strange stories get out there so that it's a little more normal. Cause to me, it's always been a part of my normal life. And so I, and I think a lot of people probably have to, even if, what do you call it when they, they're believer, non-believers? Yeah. Yeah. They have it and they don't want, they don't want nothing to do with it. <laughs> right. But it's like, you can't deny it. It's yeah. there, you know? So mm-hmm. I think having it be more a part of, oh, have you heard um, Eleanor Wagner's podcast? Or you read her book? Um, so-and-so had this experience. Oh, and so did my uncle or, you know, so it's like, they start to kind of piece those together. 
And what's even cooler is that really helps to connect us even more, which I think is why. Oh, I agree. Definitely. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to add? Anything else coming up? Well, Warren County Hauntings and Other Strange Phenomena just came out last week. It's about an entirely different county in the area, but it's just as fun and interesting as the first two books about Sussex County and the other strange phenomena category in that book has to do with near-death experiences, which I've already shared with you. Yeah. So I love everything. I'm sorry. We'll link everything in the show notes so people can connect. Oh, that's wonderful. Your podcast or your books or you personally, um, if they have a story. They own. can also look, they can also look me up at author Eleanor Wagner.com. I have all the footage, video footage that we've gotten of evidence and photographs and audio footage and just historical pictures because my books are not just about ghost stories. What I do with them is if I'm talking about Sussex County, I'm going to tell you about the county and the town that I'm writing about that the ghost or haunting takes place in. I talk about that town and the history of the town. If I have history on the dwelling, because a lot of the houses that I go into tend to be like the 1700s, 1800s, and there's back history on on that too. People love to hear about that history. Oh, yeah. And I love to share it. So I talk about the history, and then I'll go into telling them about the hauntings, the tales that the homeowners or business owners are telling me about. And then if we've done an investigation, in that building or home, I'll tell them about what we unearthed while we're there. So it's not just about ghost stories. It's got a little bit of history in it too. People like that. And then I put pictures in it because who doesn't like pictures? Right. I'll put the pictures of the dwelling in there and I'll put some other pictures that, that I find interesting in the book. And then I tell the reader, you can see all of these pictures in color on my website and then some. So they can go to the website and they'll see a whole bunch of other pictures. And like I said, video footage and or audio footage from those areas. They sound great. And I can't wait to get my hands on on your books and delve into those. I think that'll be a nice uh, going into Halloween, Samhain season. Perfect for that, I think. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for being on the Infinite Dance. I love what you're up to. And I, I think all the listeners out there will enjoy hearing your um, stories. Of Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Appreciate it. Really enjoyed our conversation. Really enjoyed it too. Thank you so much, Eleanor. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Eleanor Wagner. She has some amazing experiences and stories to share and her integrity around what she does is really what drew me to her and want to have her on my podcast. You can check out Eleanor's podcast, Eleanor Wagner's Strange and Scary World on the Paranormal UK Radio Network. She is an author of many books. I started reading um, Sussex County Hauntings and Other Strange Phenomena, and I'm super enjoying it. Perfect for this time of year. And she also just released Warren County Hauntings and Other Strange Phenomena. So that just came out, I believe, like two or three days ago. She also has another book called Dream a Little Dream. She stays busy writing, and I could see why. She's got 
again, like I said, great stories to tell. Um, so you can catch her, you can check her out in all of those ways. And I highly recommend her podcast. I enjoyed the first episode she did with Laurel Devine and the stories again were like a mile. There was so many and so interesting. Um, and again, the integrity that her and her team have when they go out and check out an area that is um, haunted or full of discarnate souls. I will link everything in the show notes so that you can um, easily find Eleanor Wagner um, to check her out some more. And I also wanted to just remind you that I have a workshop coming up myself on October 29th. It is, excuse me, October 28th. And it is on discarnate souls, miasms, and stalking entities. So it is a training. So I will go into not only how to approach, but how to interact with and how to um, petition for a clearing and ask the soul if that's what they want. And again, uphold the utmost integrity for the soul that is you know, not on its journey, a soul on earth, not in a body is not on its intended path and purpose to be here for ever and ever and ever. And then we will also go into invocations, a little bit of ritual and a guided meditation. So that will all be incorporated in that training, um, on October 20. And you can go ahead and check that out um, at ancientbodyworks.co. I do have a tiered pricing so that all can join because I don't want anyone to feel like they can't come because of a lack of funds. Um, We have options. There are options for you. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you tuning in every week and your patience with me when I can't make it to the microphone for whatever reason. Life can be crazy, but I'm loving this time of year. I hope you're enjoying the fall wherever you are, or it could be summer actually, depending on where you're listening to in the world. And I hope you keep peeling back the layers and keep continuing to ask each other and yourselves May I have this dance?